Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that looks at a group of stern-looking men wearing leather all over and doesn't know whether we're about to hear a cracking black metal record or whether we should teach them our safe word. Oh god, that's uh, starting off very um, not safe for work already. Although this show is uh, going to be a Start bit of a shorter one, isn't it? And it's, yeah, it's, basically this show is just an excuse. We've got two features just for, just for us to get a bit giggly, I guess, isn't it? It's standard. I'm the... <laughs> We we got we've had done some kind of heavier stuff recently. I suspect today yeah. will not involve that even slightly. As long as it doesn't involve more fingering. <laughs> the accidental fingering is not making a return. <laughs> He's just really hoping. What a Freudian no, not a Freudian slip. <laughs> that was not a Freudian slip. For l- lawyers, if you're listening, that was not a Freudian <laughs> slip. Jesus Christ, I'm digging myself a hole here. I should crack on. This is Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast in partnership with Notfest. I'm Tom Dare. Good morning. Uh, and with me, as ever, is a man who last year brought a Cradle of Filth album into the Hatred Gay Bar, which scared one of our bar staff who's new to metal, not because of the music, but because Cradle of Filth is how he used to refer to the bedroom of an ex who was just that little bit too kinky for him. Uh, you really should stop scaring the bar staff like that, Matt Rush. <laughs> Oh no, we've all had those, don't we? <laughs> Speak for yourself. Um, no, actually, I haven't. I don't know whether that says I, I'm, I'm accidentally revealing too much about me or too much about my exes. It's not really doing either. It's just no, no. I've never had that. I've never had that guy. I've heard about them. Like you read, you read about it on like LGBT forums of various varying descriptions of you know someone who started going out with someone who seemed really nice, and then they started bringing you know whips and chains out, and they went, yeah. "I think we might need to work up for that." And they went, "No, right now." And they went, "No, bye." <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a lot of weird shit on Reddit recently because you told me about like some because uh, I, I I'm not familiar with like websites and the internet and shit like that. <laughs> A bit of a Luddite, um, but you told me about like, some shit on Reddit, and, it, and it, you, you were talking about it in quite a positive way uh, for like um, gay youth to sort of find, uh, you know, solace and shit like that, but I've sort of seen some other bits, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that that we were just talking about. It's, there's some scary shit on there. Yes, that's, it's, it's the kind of platform where it's nice to dip your toe in and then dip that toe out when you realise there's something... <laughs> mucky floating below the surface um but you, yes no I, I wouldn't spend too much time time there but um hopefully none of that today uh just before we begin and there unfortunately there is going to be some mucky stuff uh i just want to bring our brand new special to your attention because uh, we've done a camp classic special on on hold by leprous uh because matt wouldn't shut up about it so we had to kind of do it uh, it talks about self-acceptance, making choices as a queer person, inertia, mental illness, and queer life in the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it's one of our cheerful ones, obviously. And also <laughs> there's some stuff about how um, leprous are just fucking brilliant, and Ina is really hot, according to Matt. Um, and, and it's great, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, it's very good. Go and listen to it and um, join us in our tears. Yeah, and listen to Matt go on and on and on about how much he loves Leprous. Um, and then you not bad in this particular one. <laughs> no, you weren't. Like, I'll admit, I have been on the show before. But... No, no, you weren't actually that bad at all. But yeah, it 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 was noticeable how you had way more to say about that particular song than I did. And there's very little that I have less to say on than anyone. Um, you might have noticed. If that sounds your cup of tea, uh, NotFest Premium members can hear that by going to notfest.com slash hell-bent. 
there are also links all of over our social media and our website. Uh, if you're not a NotFest Premium member, you can go to notfest.com slash join, and that's how you can change it. That will give you access to all our previous specials, as well as the juicy exclusives that NotFest bring you. Uh, and by joining, you will be helping support the podcast, so we would encourage you to check that out. Right, on with the show. And we begin this week with a Like the Ore Strikes the Water uh, this is where we take a look at one of the many, 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 many times heavy metal has come up with an uber metal and, and tough name or lyric, and we thought it sounded like a phallic euphemism. Uh, and up this week is the title track from High on Fire's 2010 album, Snakes for the Divine. First things first, as usual, Matt, where are you on Matt Pike's Rift Brigade? Or High on Fire, as they prefer to be called. It's very good, isn't it? He's very good to the point where he's um, he's won like a couple of Grammys, hasn't he? And like when they start sort of recognizing some of our world, has he? I even I miss that. I'm sure. I'm sure. Did it was sleep? A couple of... Was it sleep or high on fire? I can't remember. Just... See, high on fire. Yeah, high on fire in 2019. Fuck me! I'd completely miss that. Yeah. So I think like when them lot because. They usually don't know what they're fucking talking about, do they? So when they sort of start taking <laughs> a bit not. of a look at our world, um, and especially when it's not just like, you know, a fucking 40-year-old live recording of Iron Maiden or something like that, when it's something a bit more exciting, then, you know, they're doing something right. <laughs> Wasn't Didn't they one year give it to a sl- Slayer covering Judas Priest or something? Completely <laughs> yeah. like that? It wasn't, no, wasn't it like Priest covering Slayer's cover of Priest or something ridiculous? Oh, God, it, yeah, Grammy's metal. But, you know, if they get, yeah. to be fair, if they're picking high on fire... I'll go with that. High for a fucking great. Yeah. Yeah, this song is wicked. Yeah. I remember in 2010, a load of people who didn't really normally talk about this kind of stuff just going, have you heard Snakes of the Divine by High on Fire? It's just it, like that riff at the start. Everyone just went, what the fuck? It was like when uh, Converge dropped uh, uh, Axe to Fall and everyone stuck it on and the start of Dark Horse. It was a similar kind of thing where you just heard people going the fuck is this? Or Bleed by Miss Sugar. You know, just one of those riffs yeah. where everyone just goes oh my god, yeah. something is happening in my brain and I can't quite control my body. And it's yeah, just and still great. Sort of 12 years later, like you get the same sort of feeling when you put it on. Yeah, yeah. like you stick this song on and you're suddenly going, oh hello, I'm sitting up in my chair, I'm standing up on my feet, I'm, my toe is tapping and, and you know, the that bit is just killer. That is the, that build is so great. Um, there's something I, obviously Matt Pike is kind of he's a bit of a meme in that he is the lord of the riff. Basically, that he has more riffs than virtually everyone. He's had so many great riffs at this point. It's kind of getting silly. And the amazing thing is that he has been in two absolutely fabulous bands that both have quite distinct identities like sleep is not high on fire high on fire is not sleep yeah, and you couldn't in, like you couldn't interchange the two and they're both fucking wicked and obviously great live they make so much noise for three blokes and it, it, it's real proof because they are so so absolutely on the money and it's just proof that if you want to sound loose and jammy and kind of groovy and bluesy, you need to be tighter than the plum wrapper of a man who's just been ice swimming for the first time. I, 
Where do you get this shit? <laughs> I mean, some of them I just make up, like that one. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good or not good. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about these anymore. <laughs> Maybe I just like watch loads of bad taste comedy. And when I say bad taste, yeah. I just mean you know bad language more than necessarily you know inappropriate jokes. Uh, maybe I've just got loads of mates who read Viz or something. I don't know. It, I don't know. I've never read Viz, but it seems like it's quite. <laughs> you fun don't seem like the type of person who would have loads of mates that read Viz. <laughs> it, well, but you can never tell. Anyway, enough of enough of that. Actually, no, not enough of that. That we're going to get straight back to that. <laughs> Only just starting. Yeah. Now, Matthew, mm. what can we possibly think is phallic about a song called "Snakes for the Divine"? Is it by? Any chance the snakes in the title? Well, and the divine. It's basically okay. like, it's basically like Cox for Adonis, isn't it? You know. It's... Well, yeah, yeah. It's like the dicks is a gift, isn't it? It's like snakes for the divine. Yeah. You know, I think it's a decent gift. I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, like, there are worse things I've been given. Um, <laughs> or, uh, but you know, it, the it, divine. If you think about divinity. One of there are two options. One is the Christian gold, which is obviously not what this is talking about. If you read any of the lyrics, and the other is often things like Greek deities, and often Greek deities are pictured yeah. wearing very little and being sculpted like you know, yeah. a extremely high level athlete and in a kind of unrealistic way. Interesting little aside on the, the subject of snakes and the depiction of Greek gods. Uh, the Greeks found a large phallus um, distasteful, so that a lot of the um, cocks on on really really ancient Greek statues are quite moderately proportioned. Hmm. I didn't know that, but that makes sense. Yeah, they are, they they are a lot of statues, and they are all pretty naked. Like, there's a few that they sort of seem to wear something on the top half of their body, where they've just got their knob hanging out, which is a bit strange. Um, but you see it like quite a lot as well in like tapestries and shit like that i don't know if you've seen that one um of satan it looks like with his fucking three foot cock like you know pounding someone that's quite interesting no i've never seen that one um <laughs> i would remember that one that would that that would stick in the memory uh but i'm mean, the greeks would kind of one the greeks were not averse to a little bit of man-on-man action um mm. but also that they were very very comfortable with nudity and it was quite common for nudity amongst other people so the, the our word gymnasium literally means is comes from a greek word which was kind of where you went to exercise and it was literally a place to be naked so everyone would just kind of take the clothes off to exercise and you know races at the olympics were run naked and things like that and generally i mean obviously it's quite warm in Greece a lot of the time, so you know it's it's much nicer than it would be in you know where we live in the north half half of England, where if you went <laughs> exercising outside at the moment, you would have you know a tiny shriveled set of eggs and things like that. Like it's not weather to be naked where we live, and uh, you know there are quite a lot of if you're in Norway or you know, the east coast of Canada right now, then uh, probably not a great place to do the same. Anyway, back to um, cocks. It's not just the snakes in the title, though, right? Which obviously um, sounds a bit phallic. It's the yes. chorus as well, yeah. where Matt shouts, rise up, rise up tonight. And you're going, snakes, rise up. Come on. You're not making this easy for me. I, I can't resist the... the... <laughs> that sounds like willies. 
Yeah, I mean, I, these features are quite interesting because you do have, I think, a dirtier mind than me. Because, <laughs> you know, I've, I've never sort of looked at this something like that before, but, you know, I, I knew where you were going straight away. But there's also the line, um, given your sentence, your hand did the snakes are divine. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> where I was thinking next. Yeah, like when you're being sentenced that, it's, I don't know, it's sort of... It sounds like a bit of a kink type thing, you know, like you've been a very naughty boy and, you know, for that, you're going to get a good nobbin. Oh, my punishment is to, is to be given divine snakes. Is that mm, yeah, terrible? Be the center of a bukkake. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't quite going that extreme, but <laughs> I mean, it, it could sound like that or just you've been a very naughty boy and they'll service this, um, which, you know, I'm sure is someone's fantasy. It's not necessarily mine, but it's certainly one that I've heard. You know, it's that's a thing some people have. Like, uh, there, there's how can I put this? No, I can't put this delicately. There is a certain category of um, of gentleman special interest literature involving two men, where one of them is kind of being dominated as if they've been kind of bad and it needs to be mm. punished. But it's very clear that the punishment is one that is entirely welcomed, right? So we're not talking anything which which is really gross and illegal in this country um we're just talking someone who is has been a very bad man and must be shown a little bit of you know the cane as some discipline that's a fairly common thing to stumble across on a gentleman's special interest website right i wouldn't possibly know tom (laughs) you liar Um, yeah, no, you, you, do, you do get that a lot, and it, yeah, I this that line particularly because yeah, the chorus is funny enough, but that line particularly, it does just elicit that completely. Or it's like because you know multiple snakes, it's like you're being sentenced to just sort of sit there and wank off a load of people coming through like in one of those weird ass booths. <laughs> you or, or you know a um, toilet on Hampstead Heath. Um, I've heard allegedly. No, I know that's true. But I think that might be just about enough of snakes because uh, we need to move from one song of mythological inspiration to another. We are not going into the Hate Crew Gay Bar this week, I'm sad to say. Uh, this is partially because I simply, it's, it's still quite early in the year, it's January, and although there are some stuff out that's really great and there's some stuff that's coming that we're not going to talk about yet that's really great i simply haven't got anything that's out that i think is worth putting in right now uh, and i'm not going to do it for the sake of it the whole point of the hate crew gay bar is that we talk about stuff we're genuinely passionate about passionate about uh, and i'm not going to wreck that by going to bat for something i'm actually just quite lukewarm on but uh also we have had to record this podcast early at short notice uh, for surgical reasons i will skip but finally, and this was kind of the, the the deciding factor, because the staff were on strike. Some arsehole came in and put every Ailstorm album on back-to-back in their entirety, and the staff quite reasonably felt this is grounds for industrial action because of uh, you know unfair working conditions, um, which, frankly, is quite appropriate i think i would do that um danger pay is what they're asking for and i think we might have to cave uh, hopefully though we'll have all that resolved by next week and we can get back there again and we will delete those albums from the jukebox i don't know what bastard put them in there but they're getting fired uh, right 
we will complete this week as we usually do with a camp classic then. This is where we take a work of metal that spoke to us as queers and explain why. Uh, and this week it's three lovely polite chaps from Sussex who go by the name of Discarnate uh, and their crushing death metal tune, The Promethean, taken from their 2012 album, And So It Came to Pass. As earlier, Matt, first matter mm. is always the first one. Where are you on Discarnate? Are they a name you knew at all? Um, I'd heard of them. Uh, but I think I'd actually only heard of them even recently. Uh, but I'd never, I think this was the first ever Discarnate song that I'd heard. It's good, isn't it? They're very fucking good. Yeah. I, I've not like looked back into them, but have they been going a long time? Or do they have a lot of stuff? They don't have a lot of stuff. They have been going a reasonable amount of time, but because they're a small death metal band from Sussex, they've not necessarily had like the most money thrown at them. So they've got three albums. Each of them are very, very good. This one, I think, is my favourite. Like the open, there's an intro track, which is it's a death metal intro track. It's not like some weird symphonics, and it's a really good intro track. And track one is one of the best opening songs I've heard on any death metal album ever. Right, it is absolutely raging. They are probably the most underrated death metal band in the world, as far as I'm concerned. It's kind of like a mix between Dying Fetus and Behemoth, but made much more about the song they are incredibly memorable riffs like i interviewed them once and went what's your kind of writing process because your riffs are so memorable and accessible but they're still definitely it's not melody it's just you've written them in a way which is memorable and they just went well we just write a lot of riffs and reject almost all of them it's it's just that we have they have incredibly high um quality control like most of the stuff they write does not get anywhere near a recording studio because they just go yeah not good enough that bit's not good enough that bit's not good enough and so on so forth that's cool that's incredibly hard to do isn't it so yeah but it's, it's a lot of self-restraint and a lot of like they obviously they love what they're doing the music they, this music is stuff that they genuinely enjoy so they don't want crap and they they know what is good and is bad i mean sometimes that's quite hard for bands to do right there's loads of bands we can think of who are really, really good who've released utter shit because they didn't realise, yeah, maybe that's not my best work. So obviously that's difficult. But if you are, if you do actually like like the music that you're making, you're more likely to be able to recognise what's good and bad. I reckon. Anyway, this was kind of also, not only do I think this is the best best record though, but I think it's the kind of their best accessible yet brutal because it is really memorable. Like it's it's proper songs but yeah. there's but without having to compromise on the brutality the last album they expanded their sound a little bit and there was more kind of technical stuff because obviously if you like dying feet as, as much as they clearly do you must like technical stuff because otherwise you wouldn't like that band but they they kind of expanded their their sound on the the last one with some sugary bits which i really loved um, so it, th- that record is great as well, and the first one's really good. So yeah, um, just check out all this stuff. And so it came to pass is my personal favourite. Yeah, I would do because yeah, this song is wicked, and I did sort of feel when I was listening to it as well that it is like you just said, like it's a proper song. It's really well written. It's like intelligently sort of structured almost. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I also like that they look like they could rip your lungs out. Like they are, <laughs> they are three well-toned gentlemen. And especially when they had the old bass player that they had for uh, on this album, um, who they left on under good good terms, but he was genuinely enormous. 
Like, he could quite easily, if he'd gone on a, a pie-eating mission, he could have easily been a front-row forward in rugby union. Uh, he he had some serious, you know, proper, strong top line. But they are, to a man, absolutely lovely blokes. Even the newer baseball player. They are friendly, polite, well-spoken, charming chaps. And the kind of, the visuals on stage and the personality off stage is just, it's kind of so glaringly at odds that you think, oh, that's really quite nice. And that, you know, obviously, anytime you meet a band, they're quite nice. That's always, always good. I swear that's apparent in death metal, like, way more than any other genre. Yeah. Very like, definitely, all the nastiest riffs and all the nicest people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know what it is because there are some people who I've met from like equally aggressive, nasty subgenres who aren't as nice as death metalers. I don't know what it mm. is. It's po- no, I've genuinely no idea because there's I've kind of met a range of people in, who that don't have an awful lot in common. So it's not like they're they're all one type of nice, and it's not like you know. It's not like obviously there's cannabis corpse, right? Who are famously stoned, right? Their 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 songs are all about loving marijuana, basically. So it's not just, but it's not just the case that everyone is like cannabis corpse and they're all stoned all the time. Because in my experience, actually, that's not really true at all. So it's it's not one kind of nice people. It's it's it, I guess it's because it's it's nasty but fun. Like there are very few death metal bands that are good that aren't apart from like really necro stuff where they're bending genres and stuff. So, but if you're talking like straight up death metal, they tend to be pretty lovely. Um, Anyway, enough about me decking on about one of my favorite death metal bands. Um, Why do you think the Promethean could be a camp classic, Matthew? Are you getting anything (laughs) at all that speaks to your queer side? I I had a hard time with this one. Um, I did you now it's not musical um and but like lyrically uh, is i mean there's a lot of big words in there in the lyrics i was i was trying to wrap my head around i told you they're three well-spoken guys from yeah no exactly exactly they clearly know what they're fucking writing about and i sort of don't (laughs) well um the lyrics are basically all about you know death and destruction and apocalyptic stuff and you know prometheus um, it's death metal, obviously. So, uh, much as you might think there might be the odd line in there that could potentially be me going off on a tangent, it's none of that. It's simply that it's so danceable. It makes me want to wiggle my booty and generally fabulous the place up. This is not what I was expecting. <laughs> I know. So when I'm, when I'm, when we're doing these and I've not heard the song before I always listen to the song without the lyrics first to try and see if it is something musical or video or whatever I got nothing here which I was sort of because I you know a lot of death metal is about sort of death and destruction and stuff so okay a lot of the rest we discussed before are sort of quite campy I'm like it might be that I got nothing from that so that's interesting I don't know maybe we just dance in different ways Quite possibly, but th- it's that groove. It just makes me want to move like I'm a backing dancer in a Backstreet Boys video, uh, or alternatively, <laughs> conjure fire from the sky and rain destruction on my enemies. One of the two, though, definitely. Um, but it, 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 it's just if you retuned it, if you took the distortion out and you retuned the guitars to be, uh, you know, not like dro- drop A or whatever they're using, it would be really poppy. It would make a great backing track for pop 
if you for a pop song if you took out all the stuff that makes it sound like death metal. And to me, the moment I hear that, I'm going, yeah, that's really camp. I, that's quite interesting. Um, you just sort of talking about the guys and how much they look like they could eat you, and then sort of comparing them to Backstreet Boys and c- calling them a pop outfit. I'm not sure they'd be too happy. Well, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it is pop music. It's cl- it's brutal death metal. <laughs> like you'd have to check, but it's 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 the groove and the rhythm and the beat is real kind of. It's music to make you move, right? It's not music to have you stand there and be still and just go, it's grim, right? That's partially why it's successful. I've got, I've got it on now, and I'm hearing it definitely more this time around than I was before. It is... Okay, Tom's doing this... I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's, he's certainly moving. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just sitting in a chair. It's quite difficult to you know, kind of... And I have no rhythm to speak of, so it's quite difficult for me to actually <laughs> do what I'm talking about. But it really makes me want to proper dance. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of still hearing more, uh, like, I guess, like, <laughs> well, no, like, at hardcore shows and shit like that. You know when they're, like, two-stepping and doing, like, like hardcore dancing? I, I sort of get that more than Backstreet Boys. <laughs> but, I don't know, I'd like to see the mashup. It's possible that I have heard this song, like, 50 times, right? And that's completely changing how i view it which is always possible but like one of the things that i think is really noticeable about them and this song is that that groove is really strong right whether you feel it's a death metal groove or a kind of more hardcore groove I mean, it's not really hardcore it's just that it sounds there is a different when death metal is slow so I had a lovely conversation with Dom Lawson from Metal Hammer when we were colleagues about um, you know, how Dying Fetus have been a massive influence on on Deathcore because they were the, one of the first bands that really did the fast, 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 slow, slow, slow bit thing and did it really well and didn't do it in a kind of doomy way. It was it was mm. consistently a death metal way. Now, obviously, Deathcore uses hardcore beatdowns. Well, it's not hardcore beatdowns, it's metalcore beatdowns that used to be hardcore beatdowns 20 <laughs> years ago, right? And that, you know, it, and that I was talking about a Dying Fetus record, and I was talking, I talk, spoke about a breakdown, and, and Dom said, yeah, or as we used to call it in the old days, slow bits. Because um, that's basically all it is. It's, it sounds a bit breakdown-y, but it is just death metal slower. Yeah, that's interesting about Dying Fetus, though, because I, I, I like Dying Fetus, and I... I hate deathcore and sort of people that I've said that to you before. Like, how how is that a thing? Like, Die is a like the first deathcore band. I don't, I don't really, I don't really see. That. I mean, I vocally and riff wise, no. It's just structure. It's yeah. song structure. It's not. They don't actually sound like deathcore. It's no. just if you listen to deathcore and Dying Fetus back to back, you can kind of go, oh yeah, I can see how that kind of structure has been sort of. Yeah. used by by deathcore bands but if you actually w- say want to tell me that you know oh who was that band that a load of people were going on about last year that neither of us liked uh, brand of sacrifice yes if you want to sell me that brand of sacrifice you know that album sounds like destroy the opposition i'm gonna tell you to mm. fuck off frankly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and dying fetus would tell you to fuck off i expect as well because they're not anything alike um at least i don't think so but you to do that kind of groove, you have to be so fucking tight, and they are such for death metal that it is kind of 
by death metal standards, it's comparatively simple, right? Because really intricate stuff is often not very memorable. And if you want to do memorable stuff, you've got to do kind of simple. And it's not that they can't play the technical stuff because the new album shows that they can. It's just they've chosen not to because they want to make it more memorable. But the precision you have to have to get that groove going at that speed and with that intricacy, mm. it's still intricate by the standards of most music. It's fucking death metal, for God's sake. Um but that's it's such a, a like a, a feather in their cap that it really does make me want to fucking boogie like you know uh, N- no I don't like NSYNC actually it don't, like like it's like some boy band from the late nineties early noughties anyway from when I was from when I was young like even this the like there's two fast sections and the second one the first one's just gone to destruction but the second one still is like really danceable still and I'm just mm. what are going hey disco um. Because it is, it does make me want to do kind of seventies dance moves. <laughs> the Cotton Eye Joe, death metal. <laughs> I said seventies dance moves, not your nineties Euro trance. <laughs> yeah, they liked that, didn't they? <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I do like a little bit of rednecks, but yeah, you know, when I say it, I do mean a little bit. You know, I can't get, can't take in a whole song in one go. Um, what they are, what there is a lot of stuff like that where. My partner, who is equally as gay as me, I put that stuff on in the house. And I'm just told, no! <laughs> really? Yeah. Disappointed in him. <laughs> I can get, yeah, that and the cartoons. If I put if I put on The Witch Doctor, which by cartoons, which is, I think is a fucking brilliant song, I get told, no, within about three seconds. <laughs> like, doesn't even get to the do, 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 do bit. And I'm, it's no. Um, I've got. I've veered slightly off topic. There is, though, I think, a chat to be had about how pop, and particularly that kind of real, not the real bubblegum stuff, but the really kind of big, massive, um, we want to have pop tunes that are number one, and people are still talking about it in 20 years, kind of pop music, has been somewhere that gay men could hide in plain sight for a very long time, including the time when it really wasn't the case that you could be out and not have consequences as much as you can now. And it's only really the last 10 to 15 years that people in that kind of music have been out kind of as soon as anyone's been aware of them. And that association with gay men is now, in my mind, pretty much indelible. But it's interesting that that may change for future generations. Um, mm. I don't know how you feel about that. No, that's interesting, actually, because I've not really thought about that before, but it is, I think, very true. There's a club uh, in Lincoln which has, like, four or five floors, quite a lot of rooms, and it's it's not my crowd at all. But the bottom room is, like, the 80s room, and that is where all of us lot go. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's just like gay clubs in general. Like, it's not... I guess it's just sort of become linked to that sort of music that is that's not for us a lot, but like you say, we can and has sort of been the case for quite a while. Sort of get away with just like, I mean, I don't think there's anyone like straight or otherwise who could sort of go to somewhere and listen to some of those sort of songs without looking a bit camp, even if they are completely straight. Yeah. So yeah, it's just much more of a sort of easy place to blend in or whatever. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a really kind of non-camp person who we can talk about 
positively. Hugh Jackman, right? Hugh Jackman is fabulous, but I, he, despite the fact he's a, a star of musical theatre, quite literally, I've never really got much of a camp vibe from him. He, to me, he seems entirely you know, straight down the line heterosexual. But even he, if he, start, if he were to kind of go and have a bit of a boogie to Madonna... <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, you, your gator would just go... It wouldn't beep so much as crackle, and you just kind of turn your head slightly, and you'd realise quite quickly it was a it was yeah. a false positive. But it, yeah, it is it, it is it is kind of it's now just it's permanently camp, isn't it? Yeah, and it's always funny as well when I go out with my straight friends, and like they don't like early part of the night. There's no chance they'd they'd be in that room or like in a gay bar or something. And then come the end of the night, uh, add a few drinks. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just like fine. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's interesting that we've kind of got there's this association between our lot and like the pop diva, like G A Y. When I lived in London, I did never actually went to G A Y, but every time I went past it, it would be advertising a pop diva night on Friday, and there would be someone like you know, Jamelia, or occasionally they'd get someone massive like Kylie in to, who yeah. would be there, and it or Girls Aloud or something like that. And there would be a that's that's that famous shot of of Girls Aloud. In front of Emperor's Backdrop came about because that because the first Emperor Union oh, like yeah, fifteen yeah. years ago, uh, they were playing Gay, which was at a venue called the Astoria, which is now gone sadly, yeah. um, and uh, Emperor were playing before Gay, so that they had to rehearse in front of Emperor's Backdrop. And there are some photos fo- I have seen those photos, and any time they are put on the internet, they are immediately nobbled by their management because they really don't like it. But <laughs> be- because I'm aware of the people, some of the people who took it, and I I know them, I've I've been shown them in person, so I know it. The- no, they're still around. It's yeah. they're definitely there. But yeah. that that's how that. But that association between like gay men and the pop diva is interesting because it's. I don't know which came first, our obsession with the pop diva or gay men being kind of uh, tolerated more in pop music as long as they kept it quiet than some other walks of life and, you know, existing in pop bands. Don't know which came first, but they've kind of, there's the, there's the interesting parallel. Yeah. um, And it's, it's quite often like, uh, like pride events as well. You'll have the headliner is one of those and quite often, one of those sort of novelty almost like one hit wonder acts that everyone's forgot about like fucking last ketchup or something and then everyone like all the gays go like oh i love last ketchup i mean you don't (laughs) yeah exactly which are always there every fucking pride festival that's just all they tour these days yeah yeah it's like that thing i spoke about with cole porter before is that there have been various periods where men were gay men were accepted in musical theater in a way that they weren't in other spaces and it's and yeah. you kind of go well is it the case that there is something about you know homosexual men which means that we're more likely to like that kind of music or is it simply that we try a lot of things out and that's the one where we're not made to feel kind of quite so outsiders and so we go oh we like this and have this positive association i have no idea by the way i think it's very unlikely that it's the there is something about homosexuality which makes you like pop tunes because that would seem to be nonsense and also yeah, like weird <laughs> what and it's also fucking everyone likes pop tunes there's some people who don't really like music who don't and there's a few a few people who kind of who only like very niche or very specific types of music but most people who like music like pop music they just might not like all of it yeah. right yeah i was gonna yeah i was gonna say because like even 
like 12 to 15 year old me when i was like getting into metal properly i anything like on the radio or pop or whatever i'd be like fuck off not real music fuck off but there was still like thinking about it in hindsight the exceptions that did creep through so yeah just undeniable sometimes you know? yeah yeah and obviously it's got to be good right like just, well, justin bieber can fuck off like i know some people said oh no justin bieber's got some really good songs i've heard them most of the ones i've heard have been absolutely appalling but there's there's really good stuff out there katie perry's got some bangers for instance like I've, i still haven't listened to taylor swift i keep meaning to but i'm, I'm told taylor swift is She's she's one of the ones that everyone in metal seems to like. I don't get. No, I don't no, know it's why. well weird because she's also a prick. But, you know. <laughs> I that's your words, not mine. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. But uh, it's not me saying, "Oh no, it's uh, pop music was only good when I was a kid." No, no, it's still good now. It's just that there is some awful shit that gets made, and you know, don't don't get me started on Ed Sheeran. <laughs> Really, don't get me started on Ed Sheeran. I've never seen someone who I think is so cute, who I think is so bad at music. Really, really just want him to stop. If he does that project with Cradle of Filth, I'm sorry, Danny. I'm never listening to Cradle again. I know, that, is, that is literally the weirdest story. <laughs> is it, though? Because there was, like, wasn't there a move to get, like, Cradle of Filth recognised as... as like the most popular people to come from Sussex or something like that, or Suffolk, even not Sussex. I'm thinking of Discarnate again. <laughs> there was some, there was some kind of campaign that, that would to get them voted to, to build a statue or or something. Weird. Yeah, it was some really weird shit. And like there was the there was the um, the campaign to get Euronymous painted on the uh, the tail of uh, Norwegian Airlines planes and. Uh, it's, there's been so yeah, many. This was this is going back a few years. There's, it's, there's so many weird stories that occasionally yeah. pop up involving shit like this, and you go, it's Ed Sheeran and, and Cradle of Filth. Cradle are especially everywhere though in the mainstream. They do seem to sort of seep through. I don't know if you've seen the IT crowd, but they're a sort of bit of a running thing through there. Yeah, and of course they were on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, which was hilarious, yeah. and they were with was it? It was a show called Living with the Enemy, was it? There was someone who really kind of hated them. Who this is going back donkey's years, where they were, um, where they were like the core celebrity because the the um, uh, Vestal masturbation T shirt, um, and they could, someone who really hated them had to hang out with them for ages for a BBC Three documentary documentary reality show, something like that. There've been so many weird fucking... man. <laughs> yeah, and it, there was a period where everyone wanted to make conflict shows, right? They would get yeah. two people who are guaranteed to hate each other to uh, be with each other. Like, it was a show called Wife Swap, where essentially... <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, which was dire, where they'd essentially get you know someone to swap p- partner with someone else, and they would almost deli- always pick two people who were absolutely unsuited. Like, they'd pick a, you know, a, a pig farmer to go and live with a, an, with a vegan. <laughs> uh, or some, someone who someone who's absolutely obsessed with with meat to go and live with a vegan or someone who was really into meditation to go and live with someone who like smashed shit up and and made sculptures out of out of rubbish that involved you know welding and hammering and lots of noise and no calm to speak of they do mad shit like that and it inevitably there was some one involving cradle of filth it got a bit tedious, really. But it, it, so at this point, whatever Cradle of Filth do is, in terms of the headline, I just go, well, 
It's Cradle of Filth. <laughs> and you know, I, I don't. It doesn't really affect my opinion of them. But if they work with Ed Sheeran, anyway, we're badly off topic. My point is that there is something about that type of pop music, that very danceable, very kind of grooving um, rhythm pop music, which I immediately associate with Arlot. So if I hear something that makes me dance like it's the 1990s and, you know, that bloody band from America are just everywhere. Or you know, well, maybe not the Spice Girls. But you get, or, or take that. Take that is a good one. Or like, <laughs> or the famous Boys Own First TV appearance. You've seen that, right? Oh, it about where they they were just formed. They they just formed. They didn't know what they were doing at all. They had written no songs, and they went on this um, late night talk show in Ireland, and basically just danced to music. And they were it is the, one of the most cringe inducing things you have ever seen and the host didn't get it they had this old host who clearly thought that all music was like elvis presley and the beatles and they went he was he was completely baffled by the idea they didn't write their own songs it's kind of which you think how can you not get your head around that the monkeys didn't write their own songs and that was fucking 20 or 30 years before this clip was shown anyway it, it, if i if you haven't seen it, you go on YouTube and look for Boy's Own First TV appearance. It is, it is one of the most fist-chewingly, toe-curlingly cringy things you will ever see. But it's also hilarious, right? But anything that makes me want to dance like Stephen Gately did in that, right? Like this song by Discarnate does, makes me think, Hello! A lot! Cool. Well, I, I mean... You know, I've just listened to it again as we've been recording, and I can definitely see it more. So I'll, I will check out the album because I do like it a lot. So I'll, uh, I'll report back. And you don't think I'm completely insane by saying this makes me want to dance like I'm, you know, doing backing dancing for? You know... I'm trying to think of another good boy band. Nine uh, nine one one. There we go. There's a blast in the past. One hit wonder. I don't even know if I know that one hit. No, I'll play it. I'll, I can't even remember it. I remember them being <laughs> popular in the 90s, and I've completely forgotten what their songs were. They did this kind of weird tour of them and a bunch of other one-hit wonders recently, and that's how they Oh, I saw that, yeah. And it really was kind of who's who's not who, who's no one. <laughs> um, Steps, there we go. There's a bad blast in the past who are still knocking around and stinking the place up. Any song that makes me want to dance like I'm, backing, uh, like I'm doing backing work for Steps. Makes me think of Arlo, and you don't think me he, too insane for that? Yeah, I mean, I've, it's gone from like one hundred percent to like ninety eight, so you know, it's an improvement. So I'm working slowly there. Uh, I think that though is enough on the Promethean by Discarnate. I think we've explained that one nicely from a queer perspective. We will have another an extra another very very different camp classic for you next week when Silver Tongue by Lightbearer will be illuminated. Uh, um, 
We'll also have the return of Yes Homo, but with a significant twist as Ramstein's unique looks will be under the microscope. And uh, if you know anything about Ramstein, you'll know why that's very going to be very different. Uh, we will also hopefully be back in the Hatred Gay Bar with some stuff we're enthusiastic about and free from pirate metal shite related industrial action. That, vote is about it for HBFM 64. Matt, we've made it to the end without me making a shit Beatles joke. Uh, has that made it a good show for you? I mean, sure. Are they usually shit Beatles jokes that I've just not been seeing? <laughs> there's a there's a Beatles joke called When I'm 64. A Beatles song called When I'm 64. Oh, it's episode 64. I get it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Uh, but until next week, uh, listen to High on Fire, listen to Discarnate, and remember, it does get better. Toodaloo! <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I hope they listened carefully, because I will say that only once. I don't know why I'm doing a low hello today, but I am. Oh, okay. I just, I just, I feel so uncultured with your references. You're just younger than me. You just don't remember the 1980s. <laughs>